Welcome to Start With A Win, where we give you the tools and lessons you need to create business and personal success. Are you ready? Let's do this. And coming to you from top of the 12th floor, Remax World Headquarters here in Denver, Colorado. It's Adam Contos with Start With a Win. How you doing, Producer Mark? You're doing so good. So good. Yeah, I yeah. We're, we're here uh, wrapping up all of our recordings in the studio for the last uh, top of the 12th floor. Oh, yeah. Then yeah. we go to uh, either Brand Viva Media That's right. Studios or... That's right. Or the Fort Contos, Fort Contos. basement <laughs> studio a la COVID. That's right. That's right. Which, yeah. that thing has been very it's, reliable. It's, it's grinding. That, that place is <laughs> crushing. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Hey, um, we've got a great friend on today. We do, yeah. Yeah, Don Yeager is a nationally acclaimed inspirational speaker, longtime associate editor of Sports Illustrated. Hello. That's awesome. Uh, author of over 30 books. Again, Awesome. Uh, 11 of which have become New York Times bestsellers. Dang. Talk about crushing. Uh, today, he studies how playing sports shapes Fortune 500 CEOs on his podcast, Corporate Competitor. He has uh, interviewed CEOs of Delta, Disney, Bank of America, and our very own Adam Contos. Hey. Don, welcome, welcome to, to Start With hey. a Win. It's good to see you again. Thank you. Thank you. I got to tell you, Adam, when I interviewed you, uh, I was like, I think episode fifty-three of my podcast. You were in, uh, you were in the uh, the the Contos uh, cave, uh, or whatever <laughs> you call it, and uh, yeah, I remember having a high cool factor though, but not as cool as that walk-on music. I need to up my game. <laughs> Like that's strong walk-on music. Oh, there you go. Yeah, I have producer Mark here to to create some amazing walk-on music. That's right. It's my specialty. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Don, uh, I I got a, I got a guy for you here. <laughs> so right. cool. yeah, I need I need I need to up the game. Well, you know, we've been friends for quite some time, and and uh, you know, I you've got some incredible books and do some amazing work helping people. I mean, really, truly understand. You know, teamwork. Teamwork. It doesn't matter what type of industry you're in. Things like. In fact, I can see one of your books behind you. Great teams. Um, you know, it's just it's fantastic. All the things you're doing, and it all comes from your roots of you know Sports Illustrated, and and that helped uh, really, I guess, probably get you in the mindset of that and things to look for. So, can you tell us a little bit about your time with Sports Illustrated and how that led you to where you are today? Absolutely. I'll tell you the the. First off, I grew up as a kid reading Sports Illustrated. So the idea to go to work at that place that you was iconic, right? It was a brand that you wanted to be associated with. Um, I also had been studying for years the art of storytelling, and many of the people I thought were great storytellers were other writers at Sports Illustrated. So suddenly I'm in the presence of, of people who I had been studying because I was so fascinated by them. But the community is really small. There's only 30 senior writer, associate editors at Sports Illustrated at any time in the world. And so uh, you're you're working with world-class talent. But what I loved about it was that when you're around all that talent, there was zero jealousy, right? And, and that was one of the unique experiences about being there. People weren't uh, arguing, well, your success means I didn't get that opportunity. I, I loved it. Everybody looked at each other as a, as a true, highly respected peer. And it made it really um, just a, an unbelievable place to work. 12 years was, uh, was a great gift. And uh, it kept me on the road a lot, but it was a great gift. Awesome. Well, you 
you know, you talk about that lack of jealousy. Did you, do you think that was absorbed from some of the major sports athletes, the stars that you worked with? Because so many of them are givers and they're, they're trying to help their team win because, you know, it rising tide raises all ships, especially on a, in a team environment. I mean, was there a transference of that because you guys were around it so much? I think they're, that's a great, that's a pretty great assessment, Adam. I, I don't know that anybody ever quite thought of it that way. I think what you realize is, and this is true of really high-performing organizations, right, that 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 you don't sit and try to compare yourself against others. The great ones are really comparing themselves against their potential. And uh, and that, when you see that as a, as a regular, and then it becomes absorbed into your culture, um, as you said, the rising tide brings us all up. Awesome. And you, I want to ask you about something, um, you know, when you talk about the greatest of all time and so many things that, you know, everybody nicknames him the goat now. Um, one that comes to mind is Michael Jordan. And you had the opportunity to go one-on-one with Michael Jordan, it, my, is my understanding. Can you tell us about that? Did that happen? Uh, it not only it, I, I talk about it every day if I can. Um, yes, a number of years ago, Jordan actually he does an old man basketball camp. It's a charity event, right? He brings in a hundred guys, twenty of the most amazing coaches in the history of the game, and you you're going to play basketball full court against each other it's a couple of times a day for four days. Uh, the end result is about a million and a half dollars he raises for for Make a Wish. Uh, which is my personal charity, so I love it that it's his as well. Um, but he, um, on day three, he brings 20 guys out. He picks 20 guys and says, today you get to go one-on-one with the greatest player of all time. Like That's pretty awesome, right, to say I'm the greatest of all time and nobody argues. And and he says, the rules are simple, and he says, I'm going to let my assistant explain them. She steps up, and she says, yes, the rules are simple. See, today you're going to play a game to one. First guy to score wins. And Michael starts with the ball. Oh, wow. Your job is to guard Michael. (laughs) If somehow he misses and you get the ball, Michael guards you and first guy to score wins. How how long before you just feel like you want to lay down? Oh, I was like, I mean, all of us were hyperventilating at this stage, right? And I was number 12 (laughs) on on the, so the guy two in front of me, he actually goes out. What Jordan points out before we even start the entire competition, that only six in in all the years he's been doing it, only five guys had ever scored on him. And today there wasn't going to be a sixth. Right. So now he's in your head, too. Well, the guy right in front of me, um, he goes out to guard Jordan, puts his elbow into Jordan's uh, hip because he couldn't get higher than that. And uh, and and Jordan does a move, leaves the guy on the ground, dunks the ball, takes it out, tosses it on the guy as he's laying on the ground. And he says, now you know what it's like to be spanked like a bad child. (laughs) Greatest trash talker of all time. So then it's my turn. And I decide I'm not going to let him dunk on me. So I back off. And Jordan looks at me and he goes, are you really going to give me this shot? And I look back at Michael Jordan and I said, I don't think you have it in you. Oh, and everybody starts going, Oh, and he, he goes up, takes a shot and he misses and I get the rebound and I go back outside the three point line and Jordan looks at me and he goes, and I, and I look back at him and I said, aren't you going to return the favor? Like be a bad defender. Like I was back off. And he said, I know you don't have that shot in you. And as he said that I jacked it up for 26 feet, nothing but net. 
uh, became only the sixth player to ever score on Michael Jordan at the event. And yes, I tell the story every day if I'm allowed. Uh, My children are so over it. Uh, My wife has made me swear never to tell it at a dinner party again. But yes, thank you for the invitation. But you didn't just score on Michael Jordan. You put up three on Michael Jordan. I put a three on him. And I mean, that's the hand right there, too. I mean, you know. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. That's incredible. I mean, talk about, you know, and, and life life goes on around stories. You you know, you mentioned that at, at SI. I hope there was an article about that. Well, we we talked a lot about, I mean, in fact, there was this phrase in the writer's room in the, in, in the New York office uh, that said, uh, storytelling is the currency of kings and queens. And that's the way we looked at it, right? That our job was the, we were the, we were the purveyors of currency. And our job was to, to, to deliver it as a king or queen would, would accept it. Awesome. And you've, you've spent, over the course of your career, um, some amazing time with some of the greatest names in sports history. And I'm sure you've, you've heard some incredible stories, gained some uh, incredible insights. And now you bring a lot of those out to the corporate environment, things like that. Can you share a couple of uh, key points with us? Well, I, I love one of the things that's most important is that, is that when you really dig into what made them successful, they're not sporting things, right? It's not, it's not about being bigger, faster, stronger than other people. It's about being more mentally, emotionally, spiritually disciplined than the people you're competing against. They would tell you that it was those disciplines that gave them a leg up on, on others, so what I loved is that their lessons were not sports lessons, right? They were about how do you manage adversity? Uh, how do you, um, you know, what kind of a teammate are you? Are you willing to pick others up when they need that? Do you know how to give, how to be a servant leader in that role? Um, you know, when you, when you really dig into what made the greatest that, it, they're, they're a series of, of, conversation tools that you and I can apply into our life every day. And that's what I love because I'll never be, I'll never have Michael Jordan's physical gifts. I'll never have, I I do have his trash talking gifts. Um, (laughs) You deserve them, man. I'll I'll never have those. But what I can work on are those uh, mental and emotional disciplines that will allow me to be better. Okay. So let's, let's unpack that a little bit more here because this is interesting to me. You know, I, go after achievement every day. I, I get up and I work hard. And there's one thing that you never hear from these incredible athletes, and that's an excuse. I mean, you never hear that. Can you give us some insight? I mean, is that something that comes up when you talk to these folks, or is it just that it's completely avoided? How, how does that fit into their lives? It- it absolutely comes up if you ask them about it, right? If you say, oh, gosh, I mean, you had every reason to blame the wet turf, the bad referee, the ball. And, and, you know, all of them, first off, they'll point out the opponent played with the same set of circumstances, True. right? Yeah. So, you know, if you choose. But Michael Jordan, actually, in this in this same interaction that we were talking about at this event, um, actually said a line to me that was so great. He said, a loss is not a failure until you make an excuse. Ooh. And um, I love that line because for him, he uses losses as an opportunity to reevaluate. He loses losses as a, as a moment of, of, of introspection and reflection. And 
you know, Nick Saban says all the time, never, you know, never waste a good loss, right? Um, because it, especially if you're a Nick Saban, they don't happen that often. You got to you, you gotta make sure you make the most of them. That's the mindset you see in high performers, in people that want to take themselves and are willing to take themselves to the next level. Okay, give us that quote one more time. I want everybody to hear this. Again. A loss... A loss is not a failure until you make an excuse. A loss is not a failure until you make an excuse. I love that. In fact, Jordan said it to me. It actually hangs on a, I, I put it on a sticky note, and it, it hangs in my office because when he said it, I like I was riveted by that line because making excuses is human nature, right? But to be exceptional, you have to be committed, as you know, and I know this is a key element of everything you preach, Adam, is you defy human nature every day. That's what you're there to do. Do you think that in those super athletes or super achievers that that becomes subconscious or do you think it's as hard for them as it is for everybody else? It's as hard for them as it is for everybody else. In fact, one of the things that really works, again, I know this is a principle that you talk about on on your podcast often, is the idea that that you have to find accountability partners, right? Because it's so easy to make that excuse. It's so easy to to find that that moment of someone to blame, or you know, maybe I wasn't feeling well, or whatever it is. That if if you don't have others who can say, whoa, 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 you promised that you were never going to make excuses, you know, uh, let's let's stop that right there. You have to have accountability partners because human nature is let's all feed that narrative, let's feed that blame somebody else. Can't be us, right? Can't be me. It's got to be, got to be some other situation. Yeah, and you know what's interesting about this? It's, and I hope every all the listeners are are unpacking excuses in their head as they're listening to this, like I am right now, because this is one of the the largest inhibitors of growth is an excuse, because all we're doing is rationalizing, we're rationalizing a failure and that we can't be better because we're blaming something else. So, um, and it's okay to have failures. It's okay to have losses. It's okay to, you know, it's okay to stop doing something, but it's not okay to make the excuse about it because you're you're trying to place that that rationalization or, as we know it, blame on something other than yourself instead of owning the fact that it wasn't you that succeeded or completed this. So I, I I'm blown away that, you know, when you when you think about this and for everybody listening. Different people think about excuses in different ways. I look at them as, oh my gosh, I'm ashamed of making an excuse myself. It just, it fundamentally in the fabric of my being, and I think I'll, a lot of these other people that you talk to feel the same way about that, Don. Um, it's, it's fascinating when people start going, but this or and that, and you know, pointing fingers at everything else instead of just going, yep, that's it. So, and, but, but they move on with it without hesitation. And that is, you know, they build that bridge into the next, you know, I learned, I filed, I'm done, let's move on, as opposed to people dwelling on it. What, what tips do you have for somebody who can't get over some of their excuses? Is there anything that they can think about um, in society here or in leadership or whatever? Because it's the killer of leaders. Excuses is the killer of leaders. I, I, I totally agree. So right now we're, you know, um, as we're recording this, March Madness is about to start. Uh -oh. right? It is the last March Madness for Coach K at Duke. 
I have a close friendship with him. I've worked with him for years. Have also played in his old man basketball camp. I, as you as you can tell, I love basketball. Um, Coach K's entire model of leadership is built on two words. It's next play, right? Because you can't you you can you can take time later to reflect on what just happened, but you cannot take time now, because if you spend time now reflecting on what just happened, good or bad, you are lost. Uh, you've lost the opportunity to affect the moment that's in front of you, and so. Um, when you can develop a, a phrase or whatever it might be, right? Next play, whatever, something that reminds you, my job is to move on to the next play, good or bad. And then you begin that process of, um, you're not dwelling on excuses because you don't have time to talk about them because you're worried about next play. I'm worrying about how, how, how we do things. And then giving people, this is the second piece of it, giving people around you permission to call you out when you're not living up to that commitment. Um, that's one of the things. we. I, so I have an organization, I have a company as well, and that's a, that's a cultural um, moray for us. We talk about all the time your ability, our ability to call each other out consistently around that one subject specifically. Incredible. Now, I want to I want to jump into that a little bit because you have a podcast, Corporate Competitor. Um, you interview Fortune 500 CEOs about legends like you. Oh, thank you, sir. Uh, honored to be on that. So, um, you know, you you've taken a lot of crossover here because we have ultra high performers, which really are ultra high performers. I mean, there's they might be in business, they might be in basketball, they might be in football. You know, you and I were talking to, about Tom Brady before, things like that. I mean, it, there, there are people who are committed to perform the very best that they can and find that that next level every time they do it. And there are those who are okay with status quo. You interview the people who are committed to continuing to find the higher level. Any big takeaways that you you can recall recently of, you know, corporate CEOs that you've seen some of these parallels from? You know, a couple that really stood out. One, I had the opportunity to interview Condoleezza Rice uh, a couple of weeks ago for the podcast. And, you know, I love her. So, you know, as an athlete, many people don't realize she was the first woman ever invited to join Augusta National Golf Club, right? She's such a good golfer and she's so competitive in that sport that, that Augusta allowed her to become, uh, I mean, they invited her to become the first woman and um, and obviously she's she's an incredible golfer, an incredible member there. But a big thing for her is um, you know she's constantly evaluating uh, people and teams for how are they performing against their potential, because that that is where and 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 she believes she can see people's potential by how are they when they're at their best and if you know that that's what you're capable of, how often do you stay there? And she talks a lot about identifying the identity of organizations. You know, is your organization known to fold under pressure? Are they, you know, are they are they a bully? Are they Michigan State basketball, right, where they practice every day in in, in football pads? It, it looks like some days uh, because of the way they hit other people. You know, what is your cultural identity? And because teams of that identity will essentially devolve to to nothing when things get tough. 
And um, uh, so I love that one. I also had uh, Disney CEO Bob Chapek on um, and Delta CEO Ed Bastian, right? So, uh, and both of them talked a lot about communication skills and that, that the best leaders are constantly thinking about how do we spend more time out of the office? How do we make sure we're spending, you know, as Ed Bastian said, he has a 50% rule. Like he never spends 50% of a week in his office. The other 50% are in, you know, he wants to be on airplanes. He wants to be at airports, at gates, and in galleys, you know, talking to flight attendants. Are you committed to to being that world-class communicator to others? Because they'll follow you if they believe they they can feel your heart, they'll feel your heart not on a series of videos, but if you're out and about. Incredible and and a great point, everybody. In fact, I mean, it's funny. I was just writing a uh, a post that I have not posted yet about being a leader and communicating. It's interesting, Don, because um, one of the one of the leading traits that employees and customers want from a leader, and it was highly exposed during COVID when you know a lot of businesses went into lockdown, things of that nature, um, was communication. So communication has risen to the number one trait desired from leaders now. And you just you look around and and you can quickly and easily point to those that communicate well and those that don't, and see the results. It's fascinating, and I think it's you know it's the same thing on teams. Because, um, and I, you know, I ran a SWAT team way back when. Well, the number one thing that me as a SWAT commander had to do, I had to communicate. When I was in the Marines, Life it was and shoot. death. Oh, totally. When I was in the Marines, it was shoot, move, communicate. That's what we did. Shoot, move, communicate. And it's, ba- it's basketball, it's baseball, it's football, it's, I mean, ping pong. Who knows? It's everything. How do you communicate very effectively? Because if you can communicate, you can share your dream and your direction and get stuff done. And business. Hey, same thing, right? First and foremost, I think one of the things that you hit on right there was how that trait rose in level of importance, uh, you know, ostensibly during the during the pandemic. The truth is the trait's always been extraordinarily important. We just didn't think about it. But you see, you the one thing you cannot do is develop that trait in a pandemic, right? You cannot right. develop that trait in a crisis. You don't learn to, you know, to communicate after you've shot, after you've, you know, I mean, move and then communicate. You have to, that has to be um, a, an effort that you're working to, to better yourself at all the time. And so, you know, the one thing I would say is we have no idea what's ahead for us, right? Remember, next play, we're just focused on today. That's right. We have no idea what's ahead for us. If there's another pandemic coming, we have no idea. If you have the time now and you do work on these skills, work on an understanding of how do I, how do I more expressively allow other people to know where my heart lies, right? They know what your rules are. They know what your standards are, but What's your heart? And and people follow those whose heart they can connect to because they know that if you have the right heart, you're you're gonna ultimately do what's right for all of us, even if it's mildly uncomfortable for me. And so communicating your heart, letting people know, and then living out that passion, whatever it is, say it, but then you communicate with your actions. You know, most people think communication is just a verbal thing. It's not. Um, it's that secondary piece. Communicate it with your actions. And, and then that, um, and then as people begin to feel that way, pandemic or some crisis hits, they're more likely to line up with you. 
and that's what you're looking for. Totally agree. It's and and I guess you could say that you know the that crisis really illuminated the cracks that people had in their leadership and their capabilities, because you know when we put pressure on something, you figure out where it's weak, and that is true. I think we saw that quite extensively during the pandemic, and it happens when you know when teams start losing on the field, on the court, wherever it might be, where are the cracks in that, and that's why the trash talking works. That's why you know turning it up on on some you know off defensive plays or offensive plays or whatever might might fire it up but uh anyhow um incredible talk don i want to thank you so much for being here i do have one question i ask all of our amazing guests on start with a win and that is don yeager how do you start your day with a win so I'm I'm a person of faith, so I hope I'm I'm allowed to share. But of course, I, I, of course. My my day opens uh, with prayer and a devotional every day. Like I just I I wake up grateful, and um, and that's expressed in in that conversation. Um, but I also uh, I'm a big believer, and I'm constantly changing them out. I have particular phrases or words if I'm really trying to get better at something, and I tape them to my mirror. You know, I don't know. I'm sure you've probably heard that a hundred times. But that idea of like, you know, uh, if I know that I'm struggling or I'm working on something, I'm putting it on the mirror because as I spend that time, um, you know, grooming or doing whatever, I'm trying to make sure I'm reminding myself this is something that we have to do, right? It's a, it's a repetition world and we're better when we repeat things to ourselves. Awesome. Don Yeager from Sports Illustrated, corporate competitor podcast, interviewing Fortune 500 CEOs. Just an amazing man and somebody who scored points on Michael Jordan. <laughs> Hello, we can't let that go. And it was a three with that hand right there. So That's right. thank you so much for being on Start With a Win. It's good to see you again, my friend. Awesome. Thank you, Adam. Hey, and thank you for listening to Start With a Win. Uh, if you've just been passively hanging out and not really uh, subscribing to the podcast, I encourage you to, to subscribe to the podcast. Uh, that way you'll get notified uh, when new episodes come out and uh, it'll help other people find the show. Uh, for more great content, head over to startwithwin.com. And until next time, remember, start with a win. Start with a win.